You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Why don't you go ahead and ask someone beside you the title of my sermon, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Are you my neighbor? This point is, are you? Are you? In light of the Summer Jam picnic that's coming up uh, next week, again, get excited for that. Also, some uh, mission endeavors that our church is going to be embarking on in the month of August. We're going to start a, a, a new mini-series to help equip us and prepare us for those events, to be, a more, uh, to be more missional and evangelical or evangelistic as a church. And as you know, our vision as a, as a body of believers is to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we have three R's that help us in that endeavor, in that vision, of course, reach, revolve, and reflect. The, two of those things, reach and reflect, are, are, are very much this idea of us mobilizing to reach the lost and reflecting the love of Christ to those around us, not just here in the church, but those outside of these walls. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that as a church? And I believe the way that we do that, biblically speaking, is to simply live out the second greatest commandment that we just heard in our passage, to love your neighbor as yourself. There's a reason why Christ enforces or even affirms this throughout all the Gospels or, or two of the Gospels, these two greatest commandments. In Matthew chapter 22, when he's asked what is the greatest commandment, Jesus replies in verse 30, 30, uh, 37, rather, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Boiled down, the Old Testament, the, the laws and the prophets, even the Psalms, all of it, boiled down to these two commandments, these two principles that we are called to live by. And it summarizes the Old Testament laws, the teachings of Moses, all of it, in order if you want to follow God, be obedient to his will, to live up to his standards, you have to live out these two commandments according to the Old Testament. And listen, it's no different in the New Testament. The main difference, if there is a difference, is that we get to live it out better with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as believers, as citizens of heaven, as, as new, create, new creatures, people whose lives have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, are, we have the ability to live this, these two commands, commandments out to the fullest. I think if we truly want to be evangelistic, and missional as a church to accomplish the great commission, we must practice and, and live out this command to love your neighbor. The first command, we, I think we understand, right? To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That is our relationship with God. That's us reconciling with God. That's us seeking forgiveness. That's us living a sanctified life. That's the first commandment, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The second commandment is the fruit of that relationship, is the fruit of that reconciled relationship. We're called plus life, as you all know. We, the, the reason why we were called plus life is because we believe that when our vertical relationship with God is right, meaning we've been reconciled to God, we, we've, we've 
identified with the death, burial, and resurrection and life of Jesus Christ. We are saved believers. If our relationship with God, our vertical relationship with God is right, then we understand that our horizontal relationship with others, with our brothers and sisters in the church, with our family members outside of the church, with our co-workers, our school friends, everyone else, that will get in place as well. That will be made right as well. We'll become more loving, we'll become more generous, we'll become more patient, more forgiving. As long as our vertical relationship is right, our horizontal relationships will, will follow after. Now, now, in addition to that growth in, in becoming more, more generous and, and more loving to those around us, there should also be a deeper desire to share the gospel. That's part of being a believer. That's part of a believer's growth is that you have a deeper desire to share this good news that you have been saved by. So the hope for us this, the next two weeks or so is to discover what it means to be a neighbor, to really live out this commandment, the second greatest commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself, to be more missional, to be more evangelistic as a congregation, but also individually. To, again, to, to the community around us. How do we truly reflect the love of Christ in the community uh, at large, in, the, in, our, in our surrounding areas? So it's not, just about, it's not just about, okay, what we do, but also how we do it, right? Especially with, with the Summer Jam picnic coming up, and, and the, again, as I mentioned, we have some mission events coming up in August. We really need to equip ourselves so that we are ready to go and minister. And again, not just with methods or material, but really a proper heart perspective as we go out into the world reflecting Christ's love. That's where it starts. Our perspective, our heart condition, and, and our perspective on really who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Because that changes everything. It changes our perspective, our approach to missions. See, the reality is, we can be just like that lawyer in our passage in Luke chapter 10. He was very short-sighted in his definition of who his neighbor was. Let's jump into our passage here real quick. Someone say jump for me. Look at verse 25. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to him to test, uh, to test him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, a lawyer in, in ancient Judaism was simply someone who was very knowledgeable about the laws of Moses. They were, they were trained in those laws. That's what they were enforcing. If you wanted a bill of divorce or some sort of certificate, you would go to a lawyer and they would look through all the laws. They would write a certificate for you. That's, that's their job. And so here's a, here is a lawyer trying to test Jesus as so many other people have tried to do in Jesus' ministry. Then look what happens here. It's verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He's summing up the Ten Commandments there. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. This whole conversation about who is my neighbor starts with those two great commandments. Again, it's a summation of the Old Testament laws, a summation of the Ten Commandments. We talked about this last week, right? Jesus answered, and the way that Jesus answers he answers very directly, even quoting the Old Testament and Moses. He says, do this and you will live. These are exact words that Moses said to the people of Israel back when the law was given. If you follow these commandments, you will live. Now, not being satisfied with Jesus' answer 
and wanting to make himself look good a little, trying to justify himself. Look, listen, I, I went through school, all right? I went through school. I went through the studies. Here, here's his follow-up question, verse 29. Desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He thought this was a smart question. An interesting question, in fact, because in ancient times, in Jesus' day, the prevailing teaching amongst Pharisees and rabbis was that only the righteous was considered your neighbor. Only those who, who kept up with temple laws, who, who were pure-blooded, not mixed with any other race, only the good Orthodox Jews were considered your neighbor. And so here's this lawyer asking Jesus, okay, clarify for everyone, tell everyone here who exactly our neighbor is. For the Jews in those days, prostitutes, tax collectors, Gentiles, they weren't considered neighbors. Even the, the Samaritans, Samaritans were sort of the mixed blood Jews. They weren't considered neighbors, especially sinners. They were actually considered enemies. They were taught to be enemies of God. And the, the rabbis would reference Psalm 139, verse 21 to 22. They, it, this, that, that passage says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. The rabbis taught this and enforced this to the people and said, See, we are to have a similar sentiment and hate those who are not Orthodox Jews, who are not pure-blooded, who are not following temple rules, all these people. This is what they believed in. This is what they taught. And so this lawyer is trying to get Jesus to clarify this. And it's actually why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he says, you have heard that it was said. He's referring to the teachings of the rabbis. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And really, that same mentality that, that this lawyer had and the prevailing thought patterns of, of the Jews of Jesus' day, we can, we can have similar thoughts. We can have similar mentalities. The tendency is to love on those that are very much similar to us, who like the same things, who, who, who goes to the same events, who maybe comes to church, who watches the same Korean drama shows, whatever it is. People that we are close to, people in our circles, people in our spheres. That's who I think the tendency is that we are called to love and, or, or we, 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 we are more prone to love. And again, our, our church, I think, is good at that, right? Uh, for the past few weeks, my family and I, my family and I have been experiencing your love, giving us food and helping us out with the newborn. And we appreciate that. And that is uh, great. And, and, we are, and, and we are very thankful as a family it's really good that we are able to love on those that love us, but if our love extends only to those who like us or who are alike to us or who know us or in our spheres, then our, our love is short-sighted. Our love is short-sighted. In that same passage in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus takes it a little further again. He says, he, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, these are... The Savior's words, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
Notice that Jesus is saying not to love those who love you back. He's saying to, he's adding another weight to it. He's saying love your enemies just as the Father loves both the evil and the good. Just as our Heavenly Father shows grace to both the evil and the good person, similarly we are to demonstrate a kind of love that, that encompasses all. That shows love and care to even the people that we don't like, even the people that we would consider enemies. And Jesus continues in verse 46 of Matthew chapter 5. He says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus is saying, do not the godless heathens do the same? They love those, on, they love those who, who love them back? But as citizens of heaven... As children of God, we are called to do more. Jesus elevates the standard of who we are to love, how we are to love. Because as ambassadors of Christ, though, though we may not explicitly hate others, as in we, we, don't, we don't go up to people and say, hey, we hate you, right? Though, as ambassadors of Christ, though we may not, may not explicitly hate others, our indifference to some is as damning as our hate. Our silence to some is as, as, is as damning as our hate. So back to our main passage now. This lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus answers with this, this great parable of the Good Samaritan. We've looked at this so many times in the past. But no, Jesus doesn't answer the lawyer directly. He doesn't answer the question directly. At the end, Jesus summarizes this entire point of, of, the, of this story, of this parable. Look at verse 36 with me. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? That's Jesus' point in this passage. That's his purpose of telling this parable, how to be a neighbor, how, how to be a neighbor to those around us. And then, and again, this is a, a mini-series, so we'll look at that question next week. Now, as much as that is Jesus' point, of the, the, the point of his parable, he does also answer who is my neighbor via the, the, the characters in this parable and what they do and, and what they don't do. The priests, the Levites, the, 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 the Samaritan, by their actions, show who our neighbor is. Shows, shows where our perspective needs to shift to and, and, and be for our understanding of who our neighbor is. And by the end of this parable, the lawyer gets the idea, right? After Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the, the robbers? It says in verse 37, the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy. So his, his answer shows that he understood the assignment, so to speak, right? He understood Jesus' point. He realized that the answer to his own question of who is his neighbor? And I, and I hope that as we unpack this passage this morning, that we would get that same perspective shift, that we would also see who really our neighbor is through this parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's, let's continue on with our passage. So first and foremost, I'll give, you, I'll, I'll give you some answers here. How do we, or, or what rather, what do we learn from this passage? Who is my neighbor? Let's answer this question first and foremost. Who is my neighbor? First and foremost, Anyone on the way. Anyone on the way. Jesus tells this story. Let's go to verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, as Jesus is telling the story, you have to understand that all the Jews in that time would have known this exact road. This is a notorious road where people often got robbed. And so they knew that once Jesus mentioned that this was a road that connected Jerusalem to Jericho, it's like, yep, this is... This is a bad place. You don't want to be here. It's like, in, it's like uh, Jane and Finch, if you, if you know that area of the GTA area. Or, or if it's like, you know, Brampton. Like, what part of Brampton? Yes, right? Like, that's, that, that's, this is what the idea is that, that, that's getting communicated here. They know the place is a bad place. Um, and, and they know exactly that this, what happened to this man. They got robbed. Maybe they had this, a similar experience. Now, in verse 31, it says... Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Here's the first hero of our story, the priest. He's a minister at the temple. Remember, only the priest could actually conduct the services at the temple. Then verse 32, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The Levites was a tribe in Israel where the priests came from. And if you weren't a priest in the tribe of the Levites, then you'd just be a servant. You'd be a worship leader at the temple. And so here are these two leaders of the faith, of, of the Jewish faith, come down. They see the Samaritan and they pass on to the other side. As I mentioned, the Samaritans were very much considered the enemies of the Jews. They were hated. They were, again, half-bloods. They were, they were mixed with a, with a different nation, hence why these Jews or, did, not look, did, did not look at the Samaritan with favor. They probably heard the story of Jesus and be like, oh, a Samaritan? I bet he's going to walk around too. I bet the Samaritan is going to stop and throw in some kicks as well and then keep on going. That's, that's the, 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 the mentality of these people. They hated the Samaritans. But then Jesus sort of puts a twist to the story, and like Shamla style. Just look, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The Samaritan, on, on his own journey, as he's traveling from maybe Jerusalem to Jericho, going about his own business, he's the one that stops and, and tends to the needs of this, this beaten-up man, this half-dead man. He's the one who, who sees the opportunity to be a good neighbor, and and cares for this man. And it's interesting because it says, but as a Samaritan, as, as he journeyed, as he was going about his life, that's when he, he comes across this random guy and he treats him and he, and, he, and, he, and he cares for this man as his neighbor. See, that's the principle that we need to reflect, that, that, that we need to, in order to reflect the love of Christ, in order to share the gospel it's, it's to anyone, to anyone that we come across as we go about our life. That's who our neighbor is. Anyone on the way, anyone along the way of life. Look at the Great Commission with me. I'll show you this in the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20. We know this. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We know this. We love this passage. But there's a great misconception about the Great Commission. We oftentimes think that the, the command here in this passage is go. 
We think go is the command, you know, we, and then therefore we associate God is telling me to go and do mission work, to travel across the world to a foreign land and, and be a missionary and share the gospel that way. Go, therefore, and make disciples. But listen, that's not the command in this passage. The command here is to make disciples. In the original Greek, the word for go, parayumai, is better trans- translated as to be going, I, as, or, or to be, or, or rather, as I am traveling or as I am journeying. So a better translation of the Great Commission is rather, as you are going, make disciples. Great deal of difference. The emphasis is make disciples. The context of it is as you are going about your day-to-day life, meaning as you go to the groceries, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you drop off the kids at daycare, as you go to the library, as you go to soccer practice, make disciples. Share the gospel there. Reflect the love of Christ there. Unless God has specifically called you to a foreign land, to a foreign nation, all of us, who are ambassadors of Christ here in the GTA are called to share the gospel as we are going about our day-to-day life. We see a similar thing in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says to the, the disciples, the apostles there, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See how it starts in the city where they were at? Then it moves from Jerusalem to Judea, the greater region, then to Samaria, the province over, then to the rest of the world. We are to start where we are. Then make your way out. That's the design for evangelism of sharing the gospel, of reflecting Christ's love in our community. We start where we are. We start where we are in our workplaces, in our school, all of that. Listen, you have to understand that God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make random choices or there's no coincidences with with God. God has specifically and strategically placed you in that job that you're in, in the school that you're in, in that neighborhood that you're in, so that you would be the missionary there, so that you would be the, the light of the gospel in that context, in that community, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, his representative, his ambassador, wherever you are today. There's no coincidences with God. Start where you are. Here's some application for us. Start where you are as you go about your life, right? You know, moving past a little uh, from family members for a moment here, although our family members should be the first people that we ought to be reaching for uh, Christ and reaching with the gospel. They should be at the top of the list, but sort of in that, that vein of, 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 of loving those who don't already love you, reach out to your neighbors. Reach out to your immediate neighbors. The people who live across from you, your, the, your, the side of your house, wherever. Reach out to your immediate neighbors. You know, I get it. We, we live in Canada. A lot of us here are immigrants. When someone rings a doorbell, it's like we freeze. Maybe it'll go away, right? But do you have a healthy relationship with your neighbors? Do you have a healthy relationship with your neighbors? If not, build one. Build a relationship with your neighbors so that you get the opportunity to be able to communicate the gospel, to share the gospel, to reflect Christ's love. 
Again, do you think that God, listen, do you think God gave you that house in that neighborhood with those neighbors just by chance? Just out of coincidence? Just to be able to, you know, go out sometime and be like, hey, Paul, hey, James. Those are my neighbors. I got Paul on one side, James on one side. Salvation by faith and, you know, be doers of the word. Oof. I'm joking, they're heathens, don't worry. But, but they're my neighbors, right? But they, I absolutely believe we are placed there to be able to reach out to these people. Similar to you. You have been placed in that house, in that, that cubicle at work, that desk at school, whatever it is, so that you could reach your neighbors across. That's a good place to start. If you need some help, you know, here's a question similar to, you know, what I've done. Do you know your neighbor's names? Do you know your neighbor's names? The person who lives across from you is your side. Do you know their names? If not, introduce yourself. Here's another one, right? Do they know that you're a Christian? Do they know that you're a Christian? That, if, if, you, if you want some accountability in your house, right, tell your neighbors that you're a Christian It'll keep the, the, the parents from fighting, right? Like, we can't raise our voice. They know that we're Christian. That's a good place to start. Build relationships with your neighbors. Here's another, here's another way that we can build relationships with people or, or get into our community. Frequent a place. Frequent a place. Go to a coffee shop regularly. All the hipsters are like, Yes. Starbucks every day. Go to a coffee shop regularly. Do your work there. Just go there on a regular, like parents, go to the library on a regular basis and watch for people that you can connect with. Watch for other people that you always see there that you can start building regular conversations with, build relationships with to the point where you can share the gospel. Really, again, anyone on the way can be your neighbor. Anyone in, anyone in the vicinity of your life, anyone in the sphere of your life can be your neighbor. Secondly, who else can be our neighbor? Well, anyone in the way. So the first one is anyone on the way, anyone in the way. Secondly, it's interesting in our passage how the priests and Levites, the, the Levite, they go out of their way to avoid this wounded man. It says in verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite came to the same place and saw him and passed by on the other side. Here's a question. question. Why did these people avoid this, this, this wounded man? Why did they avoid him? For the same reason we try not to make eye contact with the lady asking for change outside the grocery store. For the same reason, we, we try not to make eye contact with the guy who's, who's asking for change as you get off the highway or the woman who's crying on a bench in public or the coworker that is going through a hard time. It's inconvenient for us. It's a discomfort for us. The person is just in the way. And I got things to do and, and I got places to be and... That person's just in the way. He's just an inconvenience. 
And we'll make up all these excuses, right? I don't got time. I don't got change. It's not my responsibility. He should get a job. It's probably a scam. All things that I, I, I know that I've said before, I, I, I've thought before. But I'm pretty sure these, this, this priest and this Levite had a similar mentality, had a similar excuse. I'm a priest. I have to keep myself pure and clean. If I touch him, if I try to help him, then I got to do all the purification rituals again. I'm a Levite. I, I, I'm busy. I need to serve at the temple. I'm late for worship practice. Or maybe, probably with the, with the Jewish mentality of Jesus' day, that guy probably deserved it. He probably got in that mess, you know, because of his choices. That he's, he's probably a sinner, and this is God's wrath on his life. Listen, regardless of what excuse that we make, the real reason why we don't act, we don't act neighborly, is really because it inconveniences us. It makes us uncomfortable. And oftentimes it's because it will cost us something. Really, it is much easier to view someone with contempt than to view someone with compassion. Right? It's much easier to view someone with contempt than to view someone with compassion. It's much easier to avoid individuals like the priest and the Levite than to be like the Samaritan who, as it says in verse 33, saw him and had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine and the passage goes on. And the call for believers, people of faith, is to have compassion. Compassion. I love this, the Greek word of uh, compassion here in our passage and what we find elsewhere in the New Testament. It's the first Greek word that I ever learned, splagnizomai, and it's not simply, it's, it, it, there's another word in the Greek for compassion, sympatheo, that's where we get sympathy from, and it means to have pity or to sympathize with, but splagnizomai is a stronger word. It needs to be moved in your inward parts to action. So you're not just sympathizing, not just feeling sorry for an individual, but you are so grieved and so moved that you have to do something about it. I have to act. That's, what, that's what's being described in our passage with the Samaritan. And really, it's the same word used to describe how God sees sinners throughout the New Testament. In the Gospels, whenever Christ... Uh, had, it, shows, it says that he had compassion for the sick or the hungry or for sinners. That's the word being used. The Savior is moved so much in, in his inward parts and that he's grieved so much that he has to do something. He has to heal. He has to feed the masses. And we are to have that same compassion for our neighbor, to those in the way those that would normally inconvenience us. How, how do we do that, by the way? How, how do we have this mentality? How do, we have, how do we start to cultivate this heart of compassion? We need a perspective shift. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. Here's the key to it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. We are to, to, to count others more significant 
in ourselves. In the original Greek, meaning highly esteemed, to be, to be, viewed, with, to be viewed as someone who is of more value than yourself. To see others need more important than your own. And, and it's tied to humility. It's lowering ourselves. It's lowering our pride so that we can esteem others more greatly. And by the way, that is the definition of love, right? It's to be more sacrificial. It's to put others first. We are to count others more significant than yours than ourselves, looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests, to the needs of others. So some application, again, we're going to have more uh, practical steps next week in, our, uh, in the second part of this series, but some application for us on this point. How do we, how do we treat those in the way as our uh, neighbor? Here's here's the first application. If you have the ability, if you have the resources to help, do so without hesitation. If you have the ability, if you have the resources to help, do so without hesitation. If you come across someone in need and you start making excuses, it's a good sign that you already know what you need to be doing. It's a good sign that you already know what you need to do to communicate God's love, to help that individual out. Oftentimes when, you know, I gave some examples earlier, when you're going to a grocery store and you see someone um, uh, asking for change, the, or when I see someone asking for change, two passages in Scripture always pop into my mind. That always bring conviction to me, and I'll share them with you. First and foremost, James 4.17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Very plain, very clear. If you know that you ought to be helping an individual, but then you make excuses and you don't do it, that is sin, according to the Word of God. Another verse that pops into my head that brings conviction, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, verse 27 to 28. It says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. If, again, if you have the ability, if you have the resources to help, do so without hesitation. Do so without hesitation. If you have the means, go, if you have the means don't be mean and, and help. Here's, here's another practical application for this. If you see someone in distress, if you're out in the public, if you see someone in distress or crying, just ask if they're okay, right? Don't avoid them. Don't try to, you know, not look at them, meet their gaze or whatever. Simply ask, are you okay? People crying in public often make people feel uncomfortable, right? Like, what's happening with that person? But really, half of what we need to do to be a good neighbor is simply being, is simply to be a, a decent human being and ask someone how they're doing. Care for another person. And oftentimes, at least in my experience, if you come across somebody in public who is grieving, who is crying, 99.99% of the time, it is an opportunity to share the gospel. 
an opportunity to share the gospel. I remember one time I was coming out of a community center, and literally there was a husband and a wife. They were crying on the bench just out of the community center. Like, it's not, hey, what's going on? And they started to explain sort of the stuff that they were going through, the trials and hurdles that they were going through, and clear door to share the gospel, and I did. God gives us these great opportunities to share the hope that we have, the love of Jesus Christ to people, and we just need to be watchful for them. And when the opportunities come, we need to act. Again, it's just simply saying, are you okay? You hear them out. They share their issue. They share their problem. And God, being God, will give you the words to bring the gospel into the situation. We are to be neighbors to anyone in the way. To be neighbors to anyone in the way. Lastly, who is my neighbor? Anyone needing the way. Anyone needing the way. I think oftentimes our takeaway from this parable of the Good Samaritan is that you know, our neighbors are, are the people in need, the, the, the person that was beaten up. We are to help out the downtrodden, the, the, the physically, who, 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 the one who, who needs physical help or materially or emotional, who has a, an emotional need. I think our, our takeaway is to help out those who are, who are in the gutters of life, so to speak. But this parable doesn't say that. It's not just the man who got robbed that needed help. Really, the priest and the Levite did as well. They too were not living up to the standards of God. Recall to mind the, the beginnings of this parable, why this parable came about. The lawyer was asking, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life in verse 25? To inherit eternal life, meaning to be justified before God, to be declared righteous before a holy God. Then the lawyer again quotes the greatest two commandments based on the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses. And if you remember what we discussed last week, the law, the old covenant, the sole purpose for that was to simply point to our inability to fulfill and to live up to God's commands, to God's standards. The law came to bring knowledge of sin, according to Paul. It's meant to highlight our insufficiency to save ourselves. It's meant to point us to seek mercy from a holy God. So the lawyer's response shouldn't have been, who is my neighbor? That's not the right response to Jesus. Who is my neighbor? It should, have, it should have been, I can't live up to those standards. I fail at that standard Help me. But nonetheless, Jesus proceeds to tell this parable, and again, he brings up these, this priest and this Levite, both of which failed the standard of loving their neighbor as themselves. The priest and the Levite failed to love their neighbor. So what does that say? It says that even the holiest of people in man's eyes those who work and even serve at the temple do not and cannot live up to the standards of God. It means that the robbers were not the only sinners in this story. It means that the half-dead man was not the only ones who were dead in this story. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Surprise, another sermon on total depravity. Oh no, everyone in the story needed saving. They needed a neighbor to help them, to show them the way. And similarly, our perspective needs to shift about who gets to be our neighbor, about who we share the gospel to, about who we reflect the love of Christ to. Our neighbor is anyone needing the way. That way is Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Absolutely no one. There's no exceptions. It's why everyone who falls short of the glory of God, that, the, 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 the Ten Commandments, those are his standards. That's, that's who is our neighbor. That's who our neighbor is. We must not fall prey to the sin of partiality, church. James talks about this very clearly. James chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Again, our tendency is to share with those we know, those that we already love, those that we deem worthy even to be saved. How about the, the criminal on TV? How about the, that person who has a different ideology or a different worldview than you? How about that, the, the, the person who has a different, different political um, perspective than you? How about Justin Trudeau, right? Uh, him too? I know what you're thinking. Well, listen to the word of the Lord. Verse, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all Kinds of people, all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires for all kinds of people, from kings to peasants, to, from politicians to teachers, from the factory worker to the, to the grocery boy, every single people, every kind of person, every kind of people to come and be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The gospel is for all, though efficacious only to those who believe. But Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.10 as well, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So church, I'm, you know, am, I, am I hitting a chord here, Right? When you think about who you ought to share the gospel to or who you need to share the gospel to or reflect Christ's love to, again, isn't only the people that checks the box for you. The right ideology, believes the same things as me, likes the same things, my friend, my, my relative. Or is it, as Jesus said, are, are we showing love to even our enemies? Those that we, we deem 
different or, or have different values and perspectives than us. So who is my neighbor? Again, anyone on the way. As you are going about your life, your day-to-day, whether school or work, groceries, chores, whatever it is, we are to treat those that we come across, anyone on the way, as our neighbor. Reflect Christ's love to them. Secondly, anyone in the way can be our neighbor. Those that we come across, that, that we are immediately burdened over, or we'll, we'll sometimes we think that is an, an inconvenience to us. They are our neighbors. God places them in front of us so that we can directly minister to them. So that we can be the ambassadors of Christ to the, these people who are in need. But lastly, who is, our, who is my neighbor? Anyone who needs the way. Anyone who has fallen short of the glory of God. That needs to receive the grace of God. That needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That needs to receive the and to receive the love of Christ. That is our neighbor. And church, you know, again, before that, before we can be a good neighbor, we must see everyone as a neighbor. We must see everyone in need. Everyone who, again, is lacking a right a right relationship with God as someone that we need to approach with the gospel. These two great commandments to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. Those, those are key. Those are key in, for us in terms of how we live out and be a missional and evangelical church. We must love our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, Now put yourself in that situation once again. Picture yourself before you came to Christ when you're outside of the faith and pursuing the things of the world and pursuing the things of your flesh. Put put yourself in the shoes of that unbelieving neighbor, that, that co-worker, the guy on the street that doesn't know Christ. Put yourself in their shoes a moment. Consider the world of a difference in their life if they simply had the hope of Jesus Christ. If someone, had, if someone would come alongside them, similar to how someone came alongside of you and shared the gospel and pointed you to Christ. Just another, we're just, again, as we always say, the ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. We're just beggars pointing other beggars to where there is bread, where we can find help. And think about the consequence if we do not share the gospel to our neighbors. Think about the consequences if we, we, are, we, we do not live up to the standard of being a neighbor. You know, the same situation, the same situation as that happened to this man who got robbed on this road from Jericho to Jerusalem. In this parable, if the Samaritan did not help him, what would have happened? The man would have died. 
but amplify that by infinity. If we do not go and be the ambassadors of Christ in our communities around us, hell is far worse than death. The second death. That sorrow, that sentiment, that idea of knowing that unbelievers around us will perish in the wrath of God in hell should cancel out any fear of rejection, any fear of uh, uh, any sentiment of shame to help out an individual, that desire to help, that desire to love our neighbor should cancel out that fear of rejection. John says, right, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. That's, that's it. That's how we overcome those sentiments of, man, well, what, if I become, what if I get rejected? What if they look at me differently? It's a price that you ought to pay as a believer just so that you can go and share the gospel to the lost. I mean, what's more weightier? Your discomfort, your inconvenience, your, your feeling of rejection or spending eternity in hell? We must live out this command, this great command to be a neighbor, to show love to our neighbors. And the greatest way that you can show love to your neighbor is to share the gospel with them. As we close here, an invitation to the lost before you, again, as we talked about in the beginning, before you can act on becoming a good neighbor to those around you, to those in your community, you need to get your vertical relationship with God right first. You need to get right with God first. The reason why you get problems in your relationships with your friends, your family, the reason why you have issues there is because of sin. And the only solution to that sin problem that you have is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who came and died for that sin so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be, be freed from it, live free from it, so that you can live a God-honoring, God-glorifying life. A life that God wants you to live. So uh, the invitation for you and foremost First and foremost is that you get, you get right with God first. Because until then, until you get that relationship with God right, your other relationships will just fall to the wayside. Secondly, to the found, we are called to reflect the love of Christ wherever we are, wherever God has situated us. To reflect the love of Christ in which we have experienced in our own life, to our neighbors. Remember the joy of your salvation. Remember the grace that you have experienced and let that overflow to your neighbors around you. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we... We know, God, where we are lacking. We trust that your Holy Spirit has moved in our hearts this day. We know where we can be a neighbor, be a better neighbor, 
who we can be a better neighbor to, who in our vicinity, in our lives, in our day-to-day needs your gospel. And forgive us for the times that we have been indifferent, where we have made excuses, where we have allowed the fear of rejection to supersede the fear of you and your wrath to come. Lord, I pray on behalf of your people that you would help us congregationally and individually to be a people that truly loves and reflects your love. Not just to those that that's within our walls or within our circles, not just to other believers, but even to those that, again, would be considered your enemies. Lord, that we would be able to love those outside of these walls, truly reflecting your love. God, I pray that you would stirring us a boldness to go and make disciples that you empower us by your spirit that we might obey your will for the glory of your name and the expansion of your kingdom I pray Father that you give us divine appointments this week Set people in front of us, highlight individuals so that people that you desire for us to go and reach out to. Bring people to mind, oh God. Relatives, friends, past acquaintances, people that we need to call into your presence. Help us be faithful, oh Lord. Just as you have been faithful to us, help us to have compassion just as you showed compassion to us. As you saw us in the sinful mire and reach down to save us, save for yourself a people washed clean by the blood of the Lamb forgiven of all sin, made righteous in your sight. Father, we glorify you, and we know that it is you who will empower us. In Jesus, your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.